0: You're listening to the podcast version of How on Earth, the KGNU Science and Technology Show. Today is Tuesday, October 18th, 2011. I'm Ted Burnham. On today's show, we featured segments of an interview I did recently with evolutionary biologist and author Richard Dawkins. We spoke about his new book, The Magic of Reality, How We Know What's Really True, It's a science book written for adolescents and illustrated in full color by Dave McKean. We featured The Magic of Reality as a promotional gift during KGNU's Fall Pledge Drive. Here's an extended version of that interview with author Richard Dawkins. You're known for books like The Selfish Gene and The God Delusion, which are scientific nonfiction written for adults. The Magic of Reality is rather different. It's still nonfiction, but written for an adolescent audience and illustrated quite beautifully by Dave McKean. So I'm curious, how did the idea for this book come about?
1: For many years, I wanted to write a book for children, and this is it, and as you say, illustrated by Dave McKean. Um, It is a book for maybe 10, 11, 12-year-olds, but I like to think, and I've had feedback to suggest, that it can be read by any age. Uh, and um, I like to think that adults will enjoy it as much as as much as young people.
0: Well, I certainly enjoyed it myself. And uh, part of that is because the book covers a wide range of science, ranging from cosmology to biology to physics. It's uh, sort of a primer on basic science of all kinds. So, what's the central message that you're trying to convey with the magic of reality?
1: Well, every chapter is different, and every chapter is about a different topic in science, like. What is the sun? What is an earthquake? Why do we have night and day, winter and summer? Who was the first person and so on? And every chapter begins with myths about the topic, like myths about the sun, myths about an earthquake, myths about a rainbow, and then goes into what really is the sun, what really is an earthquake, what really is a rainbow, which is the science, of course. So the main message of the book is science, as you say. The myths are entertaining, I hope. I hope they leaven it a bit. And they are part of the heritage of humanity, so they're important for people to to hear them. It's important to understand that myths are very numerous. There are lots of them from all around the world. There's no special privileging of any one myth, such as the Genesis uh, origin myth, and I make that very clear. But mainly the book is about science and the magic of reality. Uh, It's supposed to convey the idea that scientific truth is even more magical in the poetic sense than magical miracle stories such as you get in myths. So magical myths may be lovely to read, may be wonderful, but science is even more wonderful, even more magical in the best sense of the word.
0: Now, how did you decide which questions to address? Um, I I was kind of disappointed uh, that what is a magnet uh, wasn't wasn't included in there.
1: (laughs) Well, I think... The best way to look at that would be to think that maybe I'll do a volume two, and what is a magnet will have pride of place there. Um, I couldn't do everything, and it was a somewhat arbitrary choice. I mean, there are so many questions that I could have attempted to answer, and any of them, in a way, would have done equally well to convey the idea of how beautiful and wonderful scientific truth is.
0: Now, you are rather an outspoken critic of religion. You're part of the out campaign for atheists to to announce themselves in public. Um, it, I, I was a little surprised by the relatively mild tone that you strike in The Magic of Reality. It sounded less okay. like the, the God delusion kind of talk and more like a kindly uncle explaining that no, Santa Claus yeah. doesn't really <laughs> exist.
1: Well, um, I don't want to indoctrinate children. There's, there's plenty of indoctrination of children going on, and I want no part of that. Um, I want children to think for themselves. I want to encourage children, young people, to think critically, to weigh up the evidence, to look at all the evidence, to have placed before them the existence of religion and other sorts of myth, but that they should make up their own minds. And so that's why you have detected this slight change of tone since The God Delusion.
0: Now, describe your process for working with uh, the illustrator Dave McKean. How did you decide how the text and the illustrations would work together? and and w- was there anyone else involved? Because there is a lot of sort of typographic uh, uh, stuff going on with with the layout of the text and the illustrations. it was sort
1: of it was a partnership between Dave McKean and the publishers and me. and um the publishers did most of the liaising with the artist. I provided the text, and the publisher sent the text to Dave, and he, Drew some wonderful pictures to illustrate his reading of the text, and then we went back and forth a bit, um, suggesting changes and and modifications here and there. But pretty much, the text came first, and the illustrations came afterwards.
0: And the illustrations are very beautiful. I was just uh, flipping through again the, uh, the the full color copy that that we've received at the studio here, um, and, and I was I was marveling at at the creative ways that he came up with to. Depict some of the the different scientific uh, notions that that you describe in the in the text of the book. Do you have a favorite illustration?
1: Oh goodness, uh, so many of them are so, are so lovely. Um, he's especially good at illustrating the myths. As a matter of fact, he uses superb spread of imagination in illustrating myths from all around the world, and somehow managing to capture the spirit the the spirit of the particular ethnicity of the myth concerned. Um, And then in the the science, they're they're also beautifully done, as you rightly say.
0: Was it challenging for you and possibly uh, for for Dave McKean, if you know, uh, to write for a younger audience than some of your previous books?
1: Well, I think Dave is quite used to it because most of his books have been for a younger audience. He's known as an illustrator of what are called graphic novels. Um, It was a new experience for me. I don't think it was all that different from writing for adults. I guess I sort of... Um, moderated my vocabulary a bit and, and did, didn't use quite the, the spread of words that I'm used to using. Um, but I, I just constantly kept in mind that I had a young audience. But always, in all my books, I've always had an audience in mind. I've always imagined particular readers looking over my shoulder while I write. And in this case, it automatically took over when I imagined young readers looking over my shoulder.
0: That's interesting. Um, another thing that I noticed was that uh, there, there were there was not a lot of, of uh, highly technical explanations you know not, not a lot of tables of figures and, and charts and graphs but there are some illustrations that do a marvelous job of uh, working as diagrams you know I'm thinking particularly of the chapter um, on earthquakes and there's this great illustration of the, the Earth's crust and, and the magma underneath and how that that shifts the tectonic plates and the whole the whole cycle of, of movement there is, is all depicted. Uh, beautifully in the, the illustration, but in the text it's also in simple, natural language.
1: Yes, well, I think uh, it is important to try to convey things as simply as possible. Einstein said everything should be as simple as possible, but no simpler. Uh, and I think it is possible to do it without, without too much mathematics, indeed in my case without any mathematics, and without... Um, Tables and and things like that. I use analogies a lot. I use metaphors a lot to try to get across the idea, uh, and I, I hope I succeeded in the case of the plate tectonics in the earthquake chapter, which you've picked out.
0: Well, I, I certainly think that you did, and, and I've you know I've I've had basic science all through high school and some in college, uh, but but I feel like I learned a lot from reading the book. Um, I'm
1: so pleased to hear that. <laughs>
0: Uh, one one thing that is a little challenging is trying to describe it, and and I, I hope that some of the things we've talked about give our listeners an idea of what the book is like. But um, it, it's been talked about as a graphic science book. Um, is is that is that the sort of new genre that you you were trying to to hit here?
1: I hadn't heard the phrase, but yes, that sounds very good.
0: I, I think uh, I, I, I like got that off your dust of jacket dust, yes. dust jacket mm-hmm. actually. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the the graphic science book. So one of your your publicists must have come up with that.
1: Well, I guess they took it from the idea of graphic novels, which Dave McKean is well known for illustrating. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a good borrowing.
0: Do you expect the book to be used in a classroom setting? It's not exactly a textbook, but do you it's think it would be... It's not designed
1: as a textbook, no. Um, but I would be only too pleased if it was used, yes, in that way.
0: Now, um, you are an evolutionary biologist, and in this book, you do write about biology and evolution, but also about many other areas of science, both historical, contemporary fields. Who did you consult to make sure that you were getting things right outside your own areas of expertise?
1: Um, I consulted, I mean, in the field of physics, I, I consulted uh, Professor Lawrence Krauss of Arizona State University, who is a uh, one of the most distinguished physicists in the world, uh, and he was very generous in giving of his time to read the whole of the text, and that was extremely helpful. But I also consulted school teachers um, of science, uh, school teachers of physics, school teachers of chemistry, and of biology, um, who are experienced with with getting the stuff across to young audiences.
0: I noticed in the acknowledgements that you you had picked out a I think it was a middle school class um, to for for special consideration.
1: Yes. Um, there were there were two schools. I, I think we don't quite have the same terminology in Britain, but I think one of them, yes, you would call a middle school, and one of them you might call a, a junior school.
0: And can you tell us anything about the feedback that they gave you?
1: The very young children um, seemed to enjoy it a lot. They were helped by their teacher. They didn't read it to themselves. Um, they had the teacher kind of guide them through it, and they wrote down the things that particularly that caught their fancy. And they were very varied, the things that caught their fancy, um, and they led me to make some, some changes. Um, and the older children, I, I didn't get specific feedback from them. It all came back via the teacher.
0: Can you give any examples of, of things that, uh, that you modified based on that?
1: Well, I mean, one utterly trivial example is that I um, used the example of a soccer ball to apply to the sun, um, and then I, I, I invited the children to place a soccer ball in the middle of a field and then walk an appropriate number of paces away from the soccer ball to place, say, a pin to represent the planet Mercury and then another number of paces to, to place Venus and then Earth and then the Moon and so on. Um, and then Jupiter, which was, I think, a ping-pong ball. Um, but the, the children in, in Britain... Um, didn't like the word soccer, because in Britain, mm-hmm. soccer is football. They use the word football for soccer. And whereas in, in America, you use the word football for the oval-shaped ball, um, which is used in American football. So I had to uh, change it. Um, I can't remember what I changed it to, but I tried to make it um, fit both British and American usage
0: Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I think that was a
1: direct result of feedback from these British children.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, the the version of the book that I was reading over the summer was uh, still had the the soccer ball uh, representation in it. So, oh, did it? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually not sure what the what the new book.
1: Maybe it's different in the in the <laughs> in the British edition. Yes. Oh,
0: that could be. I can't remember. Um, so one of the things that I like most about the Magic of Reality as a whole was that as a narrator, you are never afraid to admit that there are things science doesn't know yet. And it almost seems like you take delight in saying, we don't know. So why is that? I think
1: that's terribly important, because you really don't want to give the impression that science is complacent or arrogant or thinks it knows everything. There's an enormous amount that science doesn't yet know. And that's the beauty of science, that we know when we don't know. But we also know when we do know. And so it it is very important. I also, by the way, know when I don't know, but other scientists do. Because Mm -hmm. there are some things that I find quite hard to understand. As a biologist, I'm, I'm not that good at understanding some of the um, further reaches of modern physics, quantum theory and things. And I don't think it does any harm to say, well, I don't really understand this, but my physicist friends tell me
0: that. So what's next for you? Uh, you, you mentioned earlier that you'd maybe like to write more books for young people. Do you have, do you have specific ideas?
1: I don't have specific ideas, but um, Your opening remarks prompt me to think perhaps I should do another volume along rather the same lines, Um, things like uh, what is a magnet and maybe a bit more about evolution. Perhaps I could do, since there are only, I think, two chapters on evolution in this book, I could, I suppose, do a whole book on evolution for children.
0: I suppose one of the the things that's uh, so wonderful about science is there are new topics coming up all the time.
1: New topics coming up all the time, and that's going to go on. It's a very exciting time for science. The the early part of the 21st century is, is a very rich time for enjoying science, to appreciating science, and, of course, doing science. But you don't have to do it in order to appreciate it and understand it any more than you need to be able to play a musical instrument in order to appreciate and love
0: music. Well put. Now, is there anything else you'd like to add about The Magic of Reality or, uh, or, or about anything else that we've talked about?
1: Well, I would like to stress again that it, it is a science book. It's not a, it's not a polemical book. It's not a book that's going to threaten any child's um, beliefs or the beliefs of their, of their parents. It encourages children to think for themselves, and it also tells them what we know about science and also what we don't know and encourages open-mindedness and a desire to seek further knowledge.
0: Well, Richard Dawkins, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for taking time to speak with us.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Now, if, if I could just uh, ask you one more question. Yes. Um, I do want to challenge you a little bit on, yeah. uh, on, on this notion that it, it's not going to challenge any young person's religious beliefs. Okay. Um, are, we,
1: are, are, we, are we still recording?
0: Well, uh, at the moment, yes, but I, yeah, I'm that, happy. That, to that's
1: fine. I don't, okay. I don't, I don't mind that. Okay. Okay.
0: Um, I was, I was looking at your uh, interview recently with Bill O'Reilly, um, where, where he was clearly very upset, and I think that people like him do have a fundamentalist sort of belief that that religions, that their religion is the literal truth of the world, and and should that that's it, it is a failure of science to not reflect their religion in, in a way. So I'm, I'm. I'm wondering if, if it's really true that this book wouldn't challenge any because I think I think oh, it does no, I, it does okay, encourage that, that people would, to think for themselves. That's but absolutely
1: I'm... not. Um, um, I haven't actually seen that Bill O'Reilly interview, so I don't know how much it was edited. Um, but of course, my book challenges fundamentalist views. If if there is somebody, I'm not so sure about Bill O'Reilly himself. I suspect he may put on an act for the benefit of his of his uh, listenership, but. Um, if there's anybody out there who believes that the world is only six thousand years old, if there's anybody out there who doesn't believe that we're cousins of chimpanzees and monkeys and aardvarks and camels, then um, most definitely my book challenges that. No question about it.
0: But it doesn't challenge, uh, and I, I would agree with you that it, it doesn't challenge people's ability to participate in a religious tradition. No, that's uh, right.
1: It, it, it wouldn't. It wouldn't challenge uh, a somebody who wished to to believe in some sort of God. It would certainly challenge anybody who who lets their religion interfere with science. And, of course, creationists and so-called intelligent design creationists do exactly that. They challenge science. And my book will certainly challenge anybody who challenges science.
0: That was author and evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins speaking with me about his new book, The Magic of Reality, How We Know What's Really True, illustrated by Dave McKean. Segments of this interview were originally aired during KGNU's fall pledge drive. If you'd like to support KGNU and the community programming, such as How on Earth, that it creates, please visit kgnu.org. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science and Technology Show, I'm Ted Burnham.